Welcome to WebRush, the weekly talk show that brings you stories of real-world development from industry experts and developers like you and me. Each week, Ward Bell, Dan Walleen, Craig Shoemaker, and John Papa find out what it takes to write, deploy, and maintain apps that stand up to the demands of the real world. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to Web Rush. This is episode 130, and today we have a full house. I've got all of my co-hosts on board today as we're going to talk about real-world examples of living with and deploying and dealing with real websites that are out there and what you have to do to really ship this kind of stuff. War, do you ever ship real code? It doesn't feel like it. I got to tell you. So we've got Ward and Dan and Craig here, our co-hosts today, and, and uh, we always we always talk about shipping code is an experience to itself, isn't it? Everybody, oh, oh yeah. And as you get into the enterprise, it's slower and slower. I cannot get it through my head that something that I need I wanted to get out yesterday is on the train for April, and today is is early March, mid March. And then you've got the folks who want to ship, um, you know, with CI, CD, continuous. So we always taught CI, by the way, continuous integration. But there's continuous. the CD part. <laughs> it's CI is getting it together. Late. That's right. <laughs> yeah, and the con- continuous deployment is like, you know, literally, okay, you, I mean, you could automatically just deploy right away. So there's companies that do this, and it always, always shows such a contrast in how you can continuously deploy, or you can, I've worked at companies where you deploy like once a quarter. You're like, this is the day. That's right. And we will be up till 4 a.m. Order some something yes. will go wrong. Right. Yeah. And and then everybody, you know, when it when it doesn't happen like that, the amount of energy and heat that goes into um, you know, arguing about features and who's gonna get what, because it it's the pressure is so high to get in, because if you miss a train, you can't catch it the next time. And so yes. people fight. And scream and sweat and stay up all night. Whereas if you could just say, okay, I missed it this week. Eh, I get it tomorrow. You know, if only. Yep. If only. And that's Do why we have Dan anybody on this podcast thing. who can tell us about this? Is anything going to happen on that? No, we don't. And that's why today's podcast is over right now. <laughs> Thank you for coming this week. <laughs> can somebody save me? Is there somebody on this podcast who's here to save me? I think that's a great cue to introduce our guest, <laughs> return guest, Kelly Vaughn. How are you doing, Kelly? I'm doing great. I, I feel like I'm in the wrong place if I'm expected to save you the award. Oh, <laughs> uh, Nobody can uh, save Ward, Kelly. Kelly. You're maybe, my maybe last hope. You're my last hope. It's over. It's all over. Well, what we've learned from Dan is Dan really had the sage advice there as we we're chatting about that. The most important thing during these quarterly or scheduled deployments is who's going to bring the donuts? Because if you're really going to stress out over that, you got to have somebody bring in the snacks for an all-nighter. Who's going to bring the Jamesons? There we <laughs> go. There we go. Go ahead, Kelly. I want to hear your I want to hear your St. Patty's Day story, which was yesterday. All right, you want to hear my St. Patty's Day story? So yesterday, I I'm I'm taking today or yesterday today and tomorrow off of work uh, to show my team that they also need to take time off. So I'm doing the whole lead by example thing. Uh, still very much in the pandemic, so I spent my St. Patty's Day. Uh, downstairs doing nothing with Jameson. And then I came back upstairs to do things with other people also with Jameson. Jameson is great company. 
Is this now sponsored by Jameson? Because <laughs> I feel like we should have it. Wish it was, right? I More realistically, we should their... get sponsored by Ryan Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds stuff. It feels like he should be on this oh, show. Aviation worse Gin. Yes, yes. There we go. You know what I did yesterday, Kelly? I got to tell you. I made Irish soda bread, and it was the best. It was the bomb. The best recipe ever. Okay, so I know we were going to talk about other things on this podcast, but this is now the topic. Please explain. Irish soda bread? Yes. <sighs> I, it's a quick bread made, you know, baking soda is what makes it soda bread. And it was so rustic, it looked like a cow patty going into the pan, <laughs> but it came out just <laughs> like people could not stop eating it. It was so great. It went uh, in like uh, cow patty and then it came out. Huh? <laughs> well, you know, I, I mean, it's amazing. Like you, you put flour and water together and it's paste. But as soon as you put it in the oven, it comes out. It's cake. Go figure. That's magic. It's magic. All right. All right. All right. We're going way off course here. John, can you save us? <laughs> no, I really can't. But I've already given the title of the show, Irish Soda Bread. And shipping web apps with Kelly Vaughn. So oh, there you go. <laughs> it's done. Once I write the title into Google Docs, it never changes. Like, that's right. That's the great thing about Google Docs. I'm There's putting no the recipe in the show notes, damn it. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> so, Kelly, um, lots of folks out there probably know who you are, but uh, do you want to tell us a little about the, the podcast that you run and the, the your company? Yeah. So starting with uh, one of my companies, I'm the founder and CEO of The Taproom. It's a Shopify Plus development agency. So we focus on custom development solutions for high growth mer uh, merchants on Shopify and Shopify Plus. Uh, this is anything from custom apps, custom themes, custom theme integrations, custom app integrations. Uh, most of my team are developers. I am a developer. Uh, I've been coding since I was 11. I started freelancing when I was 14. Been doing this for a little while. I also co-host two podcasts. One is uh, Ladybug, uh, Ladybug podcast uh, with three other women in tech, uh, talking all things tech, career, and code. And the second one is Commerce T, uh, and my co-host, Rian Voitler. Uh, she's a Shopify app developer, and we talk basically how to how to improve your, your store on Shopify. So uh, those are most of what I do. I used to I just saw some numbers, Kelly, on Shopify, and I don't remember what they were, but they were astronomical <laughs> numbers. Oh Usually my they are. Um, a couple of things. There are over a million merchants on Shopify. So if you wanted to get into the Shopify game, there's plenty of work for everybody, which is why I'm often pushing the partner program. I do a Twitch live stream with a Shopify employee, uh, Thomas Kelly, that we call Kelly plus Kelly because the names just work perfectly there. Um, and that's every Wednesday at 2 p.m. We're just actively building a, building a Shopify store, 2 p.m. Eastern. So we can, we can also link that in the show notes too. What else do I do? Isn't that enough? <laughs> Is there Kelly any sleep involved like at any point? A 50-year career right there. <laughs> I do. I do sleep. Um, I got eight and a half hours of sleep last night, but it's also probably because I'm off of work. So <laughs> I probably can't count that. that. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going through Harvard Business School online right now doing their core program, and I start an executive MBA program in September. Um, I'm, I'm like preparing myself by already being tired. So right. I think it's working yeah. out great. <laughs> and welcome to the Overachievers show. <laughs> my Everyone's joking. My husband posted on Twitter. He posted a picture of me yesterday because I had to actually I was doing the live stream. And he walks in, sees me on my computer and takes a picture and posts on Twitter. And is like, this is Kelly on vacation. Oh, I saw that one. Yeah. yeah. Still at her desk. <laughs> Still at my desk. Yeah. And that was like the only time I was at my desk all day, too. But, you know. Makes for good Twitter content, so. He hid the Jamesons, too, I saw. 
He did. <laughs> Took that back downstairs. So, John, one of the things I like about AG Grid, which is a, a data grid component for the kind of complex uh, grid scenarios that we encounter all the time in enterprise apps. One of the things I really like about it is that it works for a variety of frameworks, Angular, React, Vue, or, or just vanilla JS. Does that ring a bell for you? Oh, it really does. There's all these different companies that I work with where they have no choice but to use a lot of these different tools because they have different teams working on them. So being able to port their code or share that code and that technical investment they have is really important to them. Yeah, well, it's important to us, uh, ideally, we're a consulting company. And, you know, we never know what our client's going to want to use, Angular, React, Vue. But they're all going to need a grid. And it's great to be able to reach for uh, the one grid that works everywhere, AG Grid. You know, at, at any size company, too, because you could have these teams that maybe they only use one framework, but eventually they're going to switch to another one and be able to take that investment again and use it, reuse it is really nice. So if a multi-framework grid makes sense to you, you should certainly go over there uh, and check out AG Grid at ag-grid.com and tell them Warden John sent you. Kelly, something I got to tell you, there's two things about you that I always have wrong and you've corrected me on in the past. And I just want to lay them out there for everybody else in case they see it. First, you own the tap room, right? I do. Yes. Okay. When I look at the URL for the tap room, you know what I see? Theta room. Theta prom. <laughs> you should see, I have a press page that I share with people for the tap room and for me. And I have a section on there that's how to spell the tap room or how to say the tap room. I've gotten calls from people saying, is, is this the theta prom, theta room? Um, I get, oh, I got one yesterday or last week. That was the top room. Never gotten that oh, one nice. before. Nice. I've got oh, yeah, like NPM, right? NPM has how many, you know, different options. Yeah. I guess the tap room is right up there. So, so I, I should probably just buy all of the, the domain variations just in case. I mean, I guess most of these are pronunciation issues, so it's not so bad, but the top room was a new one. Yeah, I just, just then Dan's note there, I went to mpmjs.com and the first thing it says in the upper left-hand corner, and if you click on it, it'll change, is newly practicing mortician. So <laughs> that's a new one for me. That's, I guess, what NPM stands for now. That's um, fun. But Kelly, the other thing that I often, well, not often, I got wrong about you originally was that I was like, wow, Kelly's pretty impressive. She owns Shopify. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you want to know how much of Shopify I own? It is two shares. And I will forever be kicking myself for this because I bought in to Shopify stock at $90 and I only bought two shares. And if you take a look at what it is now, you will understand why I'm just like silently crying every day. <laughs> oh my. So today's, today's topic, we could have fun all day talking about Jameson and Irish soda whiskey, which we have to get the recipe in there. Do we get, or, sorry, Irish soda bread. Did you get your recipe in there yet? Yeah, I did. And I'm looking at what Shopify stock is. Today, as we speak, it's $1,100 a share and change. Yes. Oh, wow. So I'm always reminded when I sign into my brokerage account that, hey, remember that time you bought in at 90? (laughs) (laughs) You got the two big ones. It's always a pleasant reminder. I get that uh, with some others. <laughs> so, so tell us, Kelly, what to, give us a brief overview of what Taproom does, and then tell us about what it was like launching it for the first time. And we'd really like to hear some stories from you about throughout the throughout the show today of what it's like to own a company that is completely online and how you have to deal with, I assume, problems that encounter. 
problems, no problems ever. Uh, yeah, so the tap room, um, as I mentioned before, uh, we're really focused on custom custom development. So we have 10, 11 full-time employees, 11. I am the 11th. Uh, and five of them are developers, and we're actively hiring more developers right now. So that's really the meat of what we do. Um, and usually we have merchants who are doing between two, two to $20 million a year, um, potentially more than that. And they're usually needing something that's a little bit more out of the box than what you get with, say, a Shopify theme. Or any development agency can, you know, jump in and make changes to a theme, like the CSS or something. They need something a little bit more, maybe like a custom user flow, something like that. So that's usually why the, the clients are actually coming to us to work on this. So we do some really fun projects, like a custom order flow for ordering. Did you know you can order carpet online? you just submit your room dimensions and then they come out and install the carpet for you. That's great. So there, you know, there's a lot of these before you have to walk into like a Home Depot and figure out what you need and then have somebody come out and measure it for you. And now it's just, they do, you do it all yourself and you're actually saving a lot of money by ordering it online. It's pretty cool. So that's an example of something that we built. Um, we've done, we do a lot with subscriptions. So custom subscription flows, making sure you're selecting which things that you want, upselling in the process, of course. Uh, we've done meal delivery sites, which I'll have a lot to talk about on that side. Uh, and we do custom apps that are usually more back office apps. So making sure the data is staying up to date, um, automatically tagging customers, giving them what they need and to get discounts later, all kinds of things like that. So my we've, we've really been moving up market over this past year and we're getting, it's allowing us to do a lot more uh, complex fun work in my opinion. But You'd probably have to ask my team that because I'm rarely in the code now. So I say it's fun, but they're the ones who are actually doing the work. You have a wide variety of different apps that you've shipped. It, are there one or two, maybe three things that you can see as common themes that you deal with over and over again that if you don't get quite right, it really kind of makes that difference? Yeah. So webhooks are, you rely on webhooks a lot when it comes to Shopify and some of the other Shopify uh, apps that you'll use like Recharge for subscriptions, for example. And if you don't get those webhooks registered correctly and clearly understand when those webhooks are triggered, uh, you're going to have a real mess of your data. And so making sure you're registering them, queuing up the responses for those webhooks, especially for businesses or companies who are, uh, who are uh, moving upscale and having more and more uh, customers shopping on their site at one time. Again, speaking from experience here, that's something that's really, really important to get right from the get-go or else you're not going to have fun rebuilding your app two weeks after you launched it. Yeah, and I was going to ask on that because... One of the things I've done a couple e-commerce, not Shopify at all, but just e-commerce in general sites over the years in my previous company. And those scare me the most because now we're talking about customers that if you screw it up, like a webhook or whatever, you know, they could lose money. Um, you know, if the sale doesn't go through. What's the story there on so on the webhook side, let's just take that since you already covered it. What's the story on kind of tracing through from a debug standpoint in production? Because I'm sure those issues do come up from time to time. Is, is that built in or do you have to do all that? Yes and no. So when we're building our app, so tech stack, usually we're talking about building node apps. Um, we usually deploy to Heroku, um, potentially changing that because Heroku definitely gets expensive as you scale. Uh, but so we'll we'll build in error handling on our end in case there's incorrect data that we're working with that we can't actually push back up. Uh, 
And so we have a database managing the webhook queues and whether or not they're failing or succeeding. And if they're failing, we have a very clear error message on our end that we can use internally to diagnose the issue and move on from there. Um, on the Heroku side, we're always using paper trail. So we're seeing the actions on the Heroku end as well. We're able to trace back that way too. Uh, and we always know when something's gone drastically wrong when we're getting an email saying, you've used up 90% of your logging for this this uh, day or this week. <laughs> that's not an email you like to get, I suspect. No, no. <laughs> we expect you to use about seven gigabytes of data today. Oh, okay. Definitely I'm getting some errors in there. So you talked a little bit about Node apps. Can you tell us like the full stack of what you're developing? Like are you using different front-end frameworks to inject in the Shopify sites or what does that look like? Yeah, so on the Shopify theming side, um, it's your basic front-end languages, HTML, CSS, JavaScript. Uh, we do use Vue.js on Shopify themes as well. It's not a really easy way to integrate into Shopify themes. Uh, React is generally something you're not going to see on a Shopify storefront unless it's like a headless build, uh, which we can definitely get into explaining what that is at another point if necessary. Uh, but on the app side, we're usually using Node and Express or Node and Koa. And then our the front-facing apps, if there's any kind of an administrative side of it that the merchant is going to use, we build uh, on top of React for that or use React for that. Mainly because Shopify's design system, Polaris, is built on top of React and we just want to use their components. Okay. So, so you're building certain aspects of it that you can inject into certain areas of the site? Or like, do you have any points in which you get to take full control over the entire UI? Or I would imagine you probably can't do that within the context of Shopify, right? So you can. And, and the only thing you don't really get access to is checkout as a whole, unless you're on Shopify Plus, when you can get access to checkout.liquid, which is the, the file that controls the templating for the checkout. And even then, you know, it's touchy because then you could potentially be dealing with some issues with billing, credit card, that kind of stuff. But when it comes to a Shopify theme, you have access to all the templating files. So you can do absolutely whatever you want. You can build an entire custom theme. As long as you're following the correct structure for how Shopify requires their theming, you can do literally anything. Okay. And how often are people wanting you to go down that route versus like, I just have this specific feature I want you to, to put in there for me? For most of us, it's definitely we need custom templates built. Maybe not necessarily an entirely custom theme, but we, so for example, the meal delivery company that I was speaking of earlier, it's actually a Shopify theme from the theme store, but the entire purchase flow is a custom view app that we injected into the Shopify theme. So we styled based on the, the theme that was pre-built by somebody else for all the other informational pages, but the actual checkout flow itself is entirely custom. So that's probably a good example that it's a, a nice little mix of both. There are plenty mm. of merchants out there who just like need small tweaks done to their theme. Uh, our starting rate is $50,000. So that's a really expensive small change that's to all? make. Okay. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> cool. Let's set up a store. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Um, you know, on that topic, so you mentioned Vue, for example, and I, I kind of get how that would fit into uh, like a front-end templating type system. So where where is Node fitting in there? Do you use Node to make calls to the API then of Shopify, or is it just purely custom scenarios or both? Yeah, so, so we use Node as a middleware app for the most part. So for example, in the, the meal delivery flow, 
we have them, the first step is to enter in your email address. And we all know how we feel about entering email when you're starting something, but I don't make the rules. Uh, so we use, we send an API call to, their, to our Note app to validate the email, make sure that they're not already a customer on the store. If they are a customer, redirect, we redirect them to a different page. And if they're not a customer, we then subscribe them to a mailing list. I'm so sorry. And then move them on to the next step. So that's kind of where the Node app comes in. We're often talking through there. Um, and also, potentially, there are some additional API calls that we're making that have to be on the on the, the back end. Otherwise, we're just running into Cores issues. Yeah, Cores is one of the... I mean, in general, trampolining off the server for all clients' initiated calls is the way to go, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and Shopify makes it easy by basically when you build out your app, you just connect an, an app proxy to it. So we just set we send everything to website.com slash apps slash whatever we name it, and then the actual API call itself. So it makes it really easy for us to send whatever we need, receive whatever we need uh, without having to deal with anything else. And again, we control that data. As long as our middleware app is running, we're good. So Kelly, we opened the show with my screaming in pain about deployment um what what's the cycle like from uh you know i have a wish to, or i have a crisis to deployment uh, and 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 what is your what is your cycle time so we work in two-week sprints and it's really dependent upon what type of project it is what the work is if it's like an absolute crisis needs a hot fix now we're cool to push that live whenever uh, but we're generally pushing things on Thursdays. Uh, you often see that I don't push to production on Fridays because I don't want to be the one to have to fix the issues. Um, and sometimes we're in such a rush by the client that we're not able to properly write tests for our code as well. And so in those situations, we are definitely making sure that we're not pushing any potentially unstable code uh, on a Friday if it's something small like a CSS change or something like that where we feel very confident in what we're doing, we're good to just push that whenever. So, so we're not super right. and where, strict. And where the cases. rollback is super easy, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't push once a quarter. <laughs> Come on, staying up, you know, till 4 You'd have to charge a lot more if you were going to push once a quarter. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, yes. But, we, I mean, we're often, like, when we were doing a site rebuild, for example, we, <sighs> Shopify does not have a, local development environment. This is a, one of the, the most painful parts about building on Shopify. So we are actively working on a client's store on an unpublished theme on the store. You can create a development store and do everything on there, but then you also have to reinstall any apps it might be integrating with and also pay for those apps and also sync all the data over, which is very not easy at the moment. Uh, so we decided to just build out that unpublished theme instead. So each, our, each of our developers have their own unpublished theme where we're, they're working on the same site, but different components on the site. And then we merge into another staging theme. And then once that's done, we then uh, publish that one. And the nice thing is the previous theme that was working before, if, if we were to publish a theme that was not working for some reason, we can easily just switch which one's published. So we're not actually deleting it or anything like that. How do you handle data in a situation like that? So Shopify's data structure is a little bit, I don't want to say wonky. Um, it's different. But I'll you just did. <laughs> 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 
Yeah. Uh, so, That's okay. So you Shopify, own Shopify. You can say whatever you want. That's <laughs> right. I actually am Toby. So I, <laughs> yeah. Well, you're two shares. You've got two shares. I'm two shares. Yeah. I, I, I'm actually like, I'm a very, I'm a very noisy um, investor. So they definitely get, I get my money's worth out of my two shares. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, so I don't remember what the question was. Oh, just data. So you were talking about using unpublished themes for development. So how do you handle the databases and all that stuff? So we don't get access to Shopify's database because that's it's the managed host. So that's just one thing that you don't get. So whenever we are ready to publish a theme, we make a duplicate copy of the current public theme that's already published and then push our code to that new unpublished theme that we will be publishing and then make sure we're syncing all the data settings. And it's a very manual process and not fun if you're actually having to add new data settings to it. Um, this is something that is supposed to be changing in the near future to decouple the data from the theme. Um, mm. if, if you've heard me scream about sections everywhere ever on Twitter, that's what I'm referencing. It's that whole experience. So you do you create for your development purposes then a a sandbox of data that only you guys know and you can mess up that you know, somehow I, I, which I assume has to be shared based on what you've just said has to be hiding somewhere in the real data right yeah yeah so if we're having to build let's say we're building a custom subscription flow for a subscription that has not launched yet on the site we have to create that product and. Uh, use it for actually building things out, but we can't actually let the, the customers ever come across it. So there are some tricky things that we have to do basically in the in the public published theme to prevent anyone from landing on that page. We don't want to, uh, you know, set no index to it because then Google's not going to be happy later when we actually want to publish it. So we're, there are a lot of hoops you need to jump through, especially with Shopify, to prevent customers from seeing data that you're actively working on, especially if it, if it involves public or, uh, products that have been published but should not be seen by customers yet. And this is why we need professional companies like yours to be able to figure out all those hoops and do it well. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> We've been doing it for a little while. <laughs> My brother-in-law, they sell, uh, well, all kinds of apparel. And uh, he's kind of run his own store for many, many years. And he's not a developer. So he's gone through this process, though. And yeah, it's pretty easy to get a template going. But then, like you said, as soon as you start customizing, wow, does the barrier just go like from one to 100, you know, yeah, on entry. Um so when it comes to that, what happens once you've, you know, since we're kind of talking about deployment, once you have deployed, are there things that the customer can do on their own or do they always have to come back to you to customize? I'm assuming if it's code, they do. But does, uh, is there like a template editor feature at all or no? There is, yes. So anything that we build, any kind of image that's uploaded, any kind of content that's displayed on the site, we make sure the, the, the customer, the customer, the merchant is able to actually go in and change that without ever having to touch the code. Because I've seen what happens when clients touch the code and uh, 9.5 <laughs> times out of 10, I'm unhappy. So we make sure that nothing's hard-coded and the, the client has access to everything. Wait a minute. Oh, You're I'm, unhappy when the clients touch the code? I'm assuming that means they break it, but shouldn't you be happy if they break it because then they have to hire you to come be paid to fix it? On weekends. Mm, exactly, <laughs> okay. on weekends, yes. <laughs> or, or just like, I 
will just roll my eyes or just groan a little when I was like, this is not real code. What are you doing? Please stop. And then it involves like I get into these like conversations about, oh, you want me to describe which API endpoint you should be using for this? I I don't like to get all like gatekeepy or anything, but you hired us to do this. Let us do our work. It's actually I'm joking around, but that's a really go go ahead work because I think I think you've you've dealt with this a lot. You've told me some of your own stories about dealing with clients in the past several years of when it's like you're going down a road, but then your client tries to tell you a little bit about how they want to get involved. And there's this strange line. You know, I've been a consultant. I've been a full-time employee at some large companies doing this. There's a strange line when the business people are telling you, this is what you want to do. And then you go do it. That's clear. Well, it should be clear. (laughs) And when it is clear, it's great. But then when you have the business telling you, we're also going to add some code here and do this. I always, whether I was a full-time company, an employee, uh, or as a consultant, it always gave me the can I say the word heebie-jeebies? Or you said wonky, so I'll do that word. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, it gave me this weird feeling of, oh man, I feel like there's a nine out of ten chance this is going to land back on my desk relatively soon, uh, and probably at least a fifty-fifty shot at that when it does that they're going to blame me for what just happened. Well, I always find you get the best it. results by telling your dentist which iron hook to use when they're cleaning your teeth. Exactly. Please describe how I, I'm going to describe to you how, how you're going to build my house. Right. What's the worst that can happen? I'm going to have to try that, Craig. No, <laughs> you should use the E3. I'm making this up, of course. I have no idea. My, my brother's a dentist. I'll have to ask him. Uh, yeah, next time you go in the chair, Dan, I want you to do this. Could you record it for us so we can include it in the podcast? <laughs> no, 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 no. Please use the E3, please. And then they're like, we don't have an E3. Oh, I mean the, you know, J7? Just, just go for the drill, man. Just use the drill every time, you know? It doesn't matter. What's the point? Sharpen That's my That's a good teeth. analogy, though, Kelly, <laughs> because, you know, it's like, come on. You don't you don't build, like, a custom house just with, uh, you know, someone, something from Home Depot, for example. Are you building a web application? Need to deliver it soon and don't have the people to do it? Maybe you're not sure your company has the skill set or experience to do it. And maybe we can help. I'm your host, Ward Bell, and my day job is building applications for companies like yours. I don't do it alone. I'm president of IdeaBlade, a consultancy that specializes in enterprise web application development. We're particularly strong in Angular, RxJS, NGRx Redux on the front end, and .NET Microsoft technologies on the server. We're a small, tight-knit group of people handpicked by me for their expertise, experience, integrity, and team spirit. Maybe we can help you with architectural guidance and hands-on development. And if there's something we don't know, and in our field, really, there's too much to know, we can draw on our personal connections in the Microsoft RD, MVP, and Google GDE networks, as well as our international circle of really great developers, people we know and trust personally. If you've got a project that's keeping you up at night, Shoot us an email at info at ideablade.com. That's info at ideablade.com. And now back to the show. So you mentioned the, the food service uh, delivery service website a few times. Oh, were there any pitfalls with that or any uh, special lessons that you encountered while you're doing that one? Yeah. So I think one of the biggest issues we ran into that store in particular is we were testing with a small subset of customers and a small subset of data, and it worked great until (laughs) the floodgates were open. And then we're like, oh, wait, 
the system we built doesn't really handle the normal amount of customers. And also you want to grow your business. I'm sorry, you just can't do that anymore. Just like choose like your 1000 favorite customers and tell the rest, good luck, go elsewhere. <laughs> um, they don't really take too kindly to that recommendation. So we had to basically restructure the entire app that we built um, with a new queuing system and introduce different webhooks to use. And now I think we're about to approach the point where we're like, we don't want to rely on webhooks anymore at all because they're very unreliable. And we might just be doing regular calls to fetch the data ourselves instead. So it was so, like a scaling issue that you hit. Very much a scaling issue. Yeah. How did, you know, I mean, we've all made mistakes of various kinds, but this one, how did you have such a big miss between, uh, you know, between the size that you thought you were going to have and the, and the reality? How, where was the miss so that some of us out here can, you know, learn how to repeat that? Yeah. So when we were building, when we were actually testing our code, we were just testing with that small subset of data just because it was easier to work with to troubleshoot things. And it just did not even in, in like our practices was so, so everything kind of re-ups every week because it's a weekly meal delivery service. And so we were watching while we were developing the 20 or so customer accounts that had been created and everything was working seamlessly. And it, we were not able to actually test with real data to scale because they the data hadn't been you, imported they yet. They didn't tell you what the scale was going in. They didn't tell you how many meals and how many things they were going to do or... So we knew how many meals would be required in essence, but their previous site, it was an entirely different structure for how the meals were delivered. So before you were subscribed to a single product and now you're subscribed to one product plus six add-ons for each meal. And so it was the scale to which we were like, okay, well, this worked fine for let's say a hundred customers to renew and everything goes perfectly fine for all 600 products that need to be updated. And then you get to 3000 customers and we just didn't realize how long it would take based on the, the webhook response times for actually pushing that data up. So that's kind of where, where we got thrown off course and we are running into a lot of timeout errors in particular because it was taking too long for the previous call to finish. And so the other call was failing and then just everything was timing out. So we were, we would come across the, you know, the paper trail and be like, Oh, you have had, you know, 800 timeout errors in the past hour. I'm like, okay, that's not good. Let's figure out what's happened here. And it got to the point. So I use uh, it's a MySQL database that we built out for this. So I use SQL pro and I'm like, I'm really afraid to open up SQL pro and see what happened. Like every single Wednesday for a, brief period of time when everything would re-up and relaunch and renew. I was like, I'm afraid to see what data is in there just in <laughs> case we suddenly have like 400 new errors we were not expecting to encounter. And seven gigs of new logs. <laughs> yes. <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> Which by the way, seven gigs of new logs, it's really expensive on paper trail. I bet it is. <laughs> it, it, it's kind of amazing how many design projects I've been in where we didn't have the the hard conversation with the customer about how many visitors you expect and what you expect them to be doing, and because um, it's so becomes so feature focused in those uh, initial discussions uh, that somehow that you know that's a lesson for all of us and for our audience that that's got to be a critical part of the conversation and revisited continuously or you end up scrambling 
like you're describing. Exactly. Uh, it, it's, it's especially when you're earlier on building these apps for a client for the first time, second time, third time, you're going to run into new issues every single time. The most important thing is to actually learn from them and don't make that same mistake next time. So, you know, there are a lot of takeaways from this. Now we, now we know how long it's going to take for certain actions to take place. It could be like up to 30 seconds for a customer account to get updated, which is a really long time for a customer to wait because we're having to create all these products on the fly or delete all the products on the fly. So now we can plan accordingly next time this comes around and we know to set those expectations ahead of time or also potentially um, bother the company that created that earth who built out that API be like, you need to fix this, which is my other phase two. Kelly, you've made a couple of references to your product called Paper Trail. I assume that's the, the log management. Yes service. We've talked on the show, probably not enough. Uh, I know I'm on one of those soapboxes all the time about how important log management is and being proactive about it and being able to query it properly and really not only just figuring out when things are wrong, but also finding strange patterns like may not be broken yet, but you're starting to see what the heck is happening here. Why did we have 8,000 messages of this? Didn't break it, but you know, can you tell folks, you know, some of the lessons you've learned about how to use something like, whether it's Paper Trail or another product, like how do you use log management and what, would, what do you wish you knew then that you know now? The earlier you can install a log manager, the better. First off, when you're just starting to build out your app, get that log manager set up, um, such as Paper Trail or any of the other ones that exist. And every time you do something, Keep that paper trail open. Keep that log manager open and see what happens, especially if you're new to log management. You'll learn as you, you know, when you take this action, this message appears. If it's not, also, if it's not a useful message, figure out why and how you can make it a more useful message because it potentially won't always be you actually building this. And the more descriptive you can get with your error messages, the happier everybody will be. But the really, the, the most important thing is just you have to use it because you can collect all these logs, but you have to actually use it if you're going to make any use of it and, and learn from that. So definitely recommend if you're building any kind of app to, to use some kind of log manager. Do you use the log manager at the server and the client, like inside your front end app and also logging like your Node Express or COA code? We do. Yes. We've got, we've got logs everywhere. What do you use for the front end? Uh, you'd have to ask my dev team that. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> Do you use the same one for both client side stuff and the server? Like, um, I, I don't know why I'm blanking, but there's a there's something that most people use for. And it, oh, actually, let me back up because I'm not sure. Are you when you talk about logging? Are you talking about crash logging or just events that occur or both? And do they go into the same pool? What are you logging? It's usually events that occur that we're, that we're really looking at. And it depends what type of event it is and what we're going to be doing with it. So some of it we're sending back into the middleware app so we can fetch or we can retrieve and store that data in there. Other things we're just going to send to someplace like Google Analytics to track on there because it ends up actually being more useful as an event to track according to conversions or uh, user activity in general. Right. So you have multiple logging strategies for different kinds of things. Exactly. Um, exactly. So do you have, like, if the app crashes or something like that, do you have something on the client side? Do you have something that you grab, you know, some way you keep track of that or count or? or... Um, lately, it's been the client messaging us saying, hey, I don't think this is working. We try to avoid that, but 
Uh, we haven't. So we... now I'm going to tell you t- tell you my big secret, which is you know because we got some of this stuff there, but it's so pounded by the fence that nobody looks at it. It's like ah, uh, and so what do you do? You know, with all that great logging you've got there, what are you doing with it? So we're, I mean, especially as we're still kind of troubleshooting this particular app, um, we're we've got documentation that in- explains what the logs are, just in case somebody does run into an issue or wants to test something or wants to fetch that data and understand what they're looking at. So we have that the documentation ready to go. And then for the pieces that are a little bit more geared towards conversion, like impacting conversion rates and things like that, I'm consistently actually, well, I'm pretty much always looking at those. There's never a time when I'm not having to be looking at them because I need to be measuring your conversion rate just went down, you know, 0.2%. Why? Let's trace back to see what happened. So- I mean, we use it uh, from so a strategic you have some side. key metrics, right? You have you have some KPIs, just a few, not too many, right? That you yes. keep it because you know when you want to measure everything, you measure nothing. There's got to be like some gauge, and that's the one you look at: conversion rate. So we're looking at conversion rate. We're looking at site speed. We're looking at time spent on site, um, and then any of those events that take place to see where people are dropping off in the funnel. So you know, on this on this page in particular, or this website in particular, the meal delivery site, we've got events set up for. All right, you've entered in your email address. Okay, now you've selected how many meals per week you want. Now you've selected which meals you want for your first shipment. Now you've entered in your your shipping address, your billing info, and then you click checkout. So we're able to see where in that stage, where in that funnel people are dropping off. Circling back real quick to logs, because um, I don't know anything about paper trails. So, you know, and this is the part of e-commerce that always scared me a little bit is, again, it, it's not like, oh, the site went down. They can't enter, you know, some non-critical piece of data at work. Because on that one, it's like, well, we'll deal with it. But on yours, it's it's not. So does PaperTrail, um, as I know others do, so I'm, I'm guessing it does, but do you set up like very specific alerts that will alert you when a specific type of thing comes in or is there a different way that that would be handled? So for PaperTrail, we're primarily looking at when webhooks are triggered, when certain events take place, such as entering in your email address, we're, we're displaying what data we, we actually fetch from that and whether or not the event was successful or actually subscribing them in, in their state for whether they're an actual active subscriber or not. Um, on like the My Shopify store went down side of things, uh, that's generally not something that we're handling. Um, we just rely on the Shopify status for that one. Gotcha. Well, thank you so much, Kelly, for joining us again this time. I think it's been a solid year since actually you were you were on the show. Yeah, it's definitely been a while. It's, it's been a bit. And I think we were called Real Talk JavaScript at the time, and now we're, we're WebRush, which we were joking about names before. So uh, I think the first time Ward saw WebRush, he's like, why are we renaming it WeBrush? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's always those names you think you like you went really deep into making sure nobody can misspell it, mis like mispronounce it. Somebody always finds a way. And you know what? We all do brush quite a bit, except for me, since I don't have any hair. <laughs> How so, about your teeth? I brush my teeth. teeth. There we go. We brush teeth. <laughs> that, that is it could be a hear, dental John. site, which ties into Dan's favorite stories about his brother-in-law, the dentist, which I'm just having that vision in my head right now of Dan sitting in the chair instructing his dentist how to drill his teeth. <laughs> we'll have to get a video for all of you to share for the next episode. 
So uh, to wrap things up here, we'd like to share a final thought with our audience. Could be on topic or anything that's just going on in the world these days. Uh, Mr. Shoemaker, what's your final thought for the audience today? Don't skip the annual cleaning. Just go ahead and make sure that happens. <laughs> Wait, the ankle cleaning? The annual cleaning <laughs> annual or semi-annual. Cleaning. Or whatever. I was missing junk. some kind of hygiene that you do at your house. No, no, no. Yes, that is good advice. That is good advice. <laughs> Ward, what, what is your final thought for our listeners? Well, I, I, I have something very critical that I discovered in the New York Times uh, that the world needs to know about, which is self-decapitating sea slugs. And I'm going to put the link in there, but I don't know if you guys can see this, but it is a, a sea slug when its body is over infested with parasites, it chops its own head off and regrows its body. And what? I want to learn how to do that. So, <laughs> so we're going to have a whole episode on this topic as uh, Ward is going to share the video with everybody in the show notes. By the way, uh, check out the show notes, everybody. We've got quite a few links in there everything that Kelly uh, laid down for us, plus a few additional ones that Dan put in about dentists or Craig, one of the two of them. Dan, what's your final thought for today? I, you know, I'm going to do a very boring one, but very important. Uh, John will know this well because in architecture stuff we do workshop-wise, um, we kind of lay out nine things that you should have for like every app when you start. And one of those is logging. And I think, uh, Kelly, you pretty much covered that pretty well. <laughs> uh, if you don't have, I, I'm always surprised or was surprised, um, you know, back in my consulting days when I would go in to help clients on various things and Ward, I suspect you've probably dealt with this quite a bit where you're like, okay, so this happened and you need me to help you. Um, what happened? And they're like, oh, well, we don't really have any of that recorded. Um, you know, so logging is important, folks. Do it. And Kelly, what's your final thought for today? So mine's a really important one. Um, we were talking about Jameson earlier. If you're unfamiliar, uh, Jameson has a cold brew whiskey. And I'm not usually one for like flavored whiskey or anything like that. But it's literally Jameson and cold brew coffee in the same bottle. And it is the most delicious treat to have in the evening. That is definitely going in the show notes as I'm pasting it in right now. A variation on the Irish coffee. Yeah. Exactly. Did you notice, did you notice how fast John found that though? Because he had to look that up. <laughs> and like five seconds later, he's like, I got it. <laughs> as my children would say, I'm going to go search that up, daddy. So <laughs> I feel so old saying, I'm going to Google that. They're like, no, dad. You know, that's going to go great with the Irish soda bread recipe I also put in the show notes. So. Ah, perfect. It is. Well, I recommend that everybody who's going to watch the self-decapitating sea slugs, they first <laughs> try Ward's <laughs> recipe and have some Jameson at the same time, because I think I'd need both of those just to get through it all. <laughs> My final thought for today is is um, something I've been sharing with folks for a while, and it, it, trying to put to words on when you're trying to build a career in technology one of the more important things we think about a lot is, yeah, you know, I've got to do more things. I've got to impact more people. I've got to learn the technology. Those are all great things. But something I try to focus folks on is what are your relationships like with the people that you work with? Are you being a burden to people that you work with or are you lifting the burden for people that you work with? 
Because if you can do that, if you can not burden them, if you can go the opposite, <laughs> lift that burden, you're going to get further together. But not only that, it's more about the relationships you're building. So people know to count on you down the road. You're going to have to work with these people for a long time, theoretically, if you stay at that job. Uh, and take it from me, somebody who's had a long career in technology, thankfully, a lot of the people you work with, they may end up at multiple companies with you together too, or consulting wise. I mean, it's a small world. So finding a way to lift the burden, I always try to think about this before I reach out to folks and say, how can I help them instead of just thinking, how can they help me? So that's my final thought for today. Kelly, uh, as always, you've been amazing. And I've dropped a couple of your Twitter links in there, which I didn't tell you about, um, <laughs> which just fantastic. You've got several tweets about uh, pushing to production on Friday, and I think they're all fantastic. So <laughs> we Thank may you. add a few more of those into there. If you're not following Kelly on Twitter, definitely... What are you thinking? And thank you all for listening to us for yet another week. And thank you to our sponsors, AG Grid and Idea Blade and Narwhal. So much for keeping us on the air. And you'll hear from us every Thursday morning. See you next time.